So <clears throat> I'm going to start off tonight. We're going to be in Psalm 39, but I have to clear up something from last week. Uh, 1 John 4, 7, 8 tells us, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. Everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. The one who does not love does not know God, for God is love. And when I look in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, I think of that perfect love that God has for us that is part of his nature, it's part of his character. And God cannot not love. He always loves, regardless of what's going on in your life. Okay, he's not the initi- he, he, he doesn't respond to us. He's the initiator of the love. We're the ones that respond to him. And so therefore, God is always, always, always loving. And so last week, I, my, at the end, I said something about the judgment that God would stop loving the person that is sent to hell. And I didn't realize what was up in here came out wrong, but I thank God, I praise God that I have brothers that will come alongside of me and say, hey, I know what you were trying to say, but it came out wrong. So what ends up happening here is God loves at all times, Right? And that person that's cast into hell because of their rejection to God doesn't mean God doesn't still love them. It just means that they don't get to experience God's love for an eternity. While us, the ones who have made that declaration, we've accepted, we've believed on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ for eternity, that's what we get to, accept, we get to experience is God's love forever. So I didn't, I didn't want you guys to uh, think that... <clears throat> Okay, God can stop loving. He can't stop loving. He's perfect. Okay, he's perfect. He cannot stop loving. And that's comforting to me. Okay, so I just wanted to clear that up, make, make sure that um, <clears throat> I wasn't going down a bad road. Okay? So let's go to Psalm 39. Psalm 39 is kind of similar to Psalm 30 that we, started, that we studied last week. And if you read here, it says, For the choir director for Jejuthun, a psalm of David. And in, in the similarities that I see, one is that keeping silent is a good thing, right? Uh, not wanting to give his enemies reasons to blaspheme God. And also, he understood that his life was fleeting, just like we understand that our life is fleeting, and that's what we're going to be learning about tonight. So in 2 Chronicles chapter 5, 11 to 14, you don't have to turn there, but Jeduthun is mentioned with, with Heman and, and Asap, and these guys are the musicians that David has set up to be able to um, worship the Lord with. And I, I'm, I'm intrigued by this 2 Chronicles chapter 5, and when they would worship God, they would worship him in such a way that the cloud would come in and the cloud would fill the whole house to the point where the priests actually had to get down. They couldn't stand up anymore. So the picture that I'm getting is that these priests are actually getting down and having to praise God down, down low. And wouldn't it be cool if that happened here in, the, in our hearts only, Right to where the praise of the people would be such that it was like that cloud that came in and just filled the whole house to where it just consumed this whole house and we couldn't handle that praise. That would be awesome. You know, I think that, I'm not saying anything against you guys. Don't get me wrong. I'm in the same boat too. I mean, I want to be able to worship in a way to where my heart is towards the Lord in that direction. So, that's the beginning of what's going on here when he says it's a, a, uh, a, the choir director for Jeduthun. Verse 1 says, I will guard my ways, that I may not sin with my tongue. I will guard my mouth as with a muzzle. The wicked are in my presence. And when David's talking about this thing of I will guard my ways, he's talking about protecting, putting that hedge of thorns around his ways so that the enemy can't get in and cause him to stumble, to cause him to blaspheme the Lord. And that's the, the idea that we need to have too. We need to guard our ways, right? Because we do we know we have an enemy, right? We have the world, 
and we have the flesh, all those things that are fighting against us to cause us to reject God. Go to 1 Kings chapter 2, verse 4. 1 Kings chapter 2 and verse 4. David is getting ready to die, and so he's bringing Solomon in, and he's, t- he's charging Solomon. He's telling him, hey, I'm, I'm getting ready to go the way of the earth, but this is what I want you to do. I want you to go ahead and, and keep the charge of the Lord to walk in his ways. He's giving good counsel to his son. So if you look at verse 4, it says, So that the Lord may carry out his promise, which he spoke concerning me, saying, If your sons are careful of their way, in other words, if, you, if your sons are guarding their way, to walk before me in truth with all their heart and with all their soul. You should not lack a man on the throne of Israel. Good promise, good counsel. Now go over to Psalm 119. Psalm 119 and verse 9 to 11. You guys, you guys will recognize one of these verses. Verse 9, Psalm 119 says, How can a young man keep his way pure? By keeping it according to your word. With all my heart, I have sought you. Do not let me wander from your commandments. Here's the one you guys know. Your word I have treasured in my heart that I might sin against you. So we see in both instances that we're following the ordinance of God. We're following the commandments of God, the things that God has called us to do. The right things, right? That's Because that, God is righteous. God is holy. God is love. And so we want to follow the things that God wants us to do so that we can be pure before him. That's how you keep yourself pure, by taking God's word and then planting it and then going out and then living it. That's how we keep ourselves pure. James uh, 3, 5, and 12, we get back to our, our text. David talks about this thing about not sinning with my tongue. He will guard his mouth as with a muzzle while the wicked are in his presence. The wicked being in his presence, he doesn't want to say anything like I did last week that would cause somebody possibly to stumble. Okay, he doesn't want to cause people to blaspheme God. And so David says that with my sin, with my, with my, I may not sin with my tongue, I will guard it I will, with as a muzzle. So if we go to um, Ephesians chapter 4, 29 to 32, we're going to see here what Paul is, is talking about as far as um, getting along with people, talking with them, how our conduct should be as far as our speech goes with other people. <laughs> verses 29 to 32 of chapter 4. Before I go there, I want to kind of give you a brief summary of what's going on. Uh, Chapter 17, or verse 17, starts out with this Christian walk that we're supposed to have. And he says, So this I say and affirm together with the Lord that you walk no longer as the Gentiles also walk. He says that they are futile in their mind because they are in darkness. They are separated from God because of this. And then Paul goes on to say to us Christians, but you did not learn Christ in this way. We've learned him in a good way according to what the scriptures are, are saying. Okay, and he tells us also that we are supposed to lay aside that former self that we were because we were slaves to sin at one time. And then we became saved. What happened to us? Now we're slaves to righteousness. Okay, that's what God tells us. We're supposed to lay aside that former manner of life, which is being corrupted in accordance with the lusts of deceit. And he tells us to be renewed in the spirit of your mind, put on the new self, which in the likeness of God is created in righteousness and holiness of the truth. He tells us how to get along with people in the next few verses. We don't lie to each other, right? We speak the truth to each other. Uh, We don't be angry with each other, right? Because that allows the devil a foothold into our life. It's a barrier between relationships. We're not supposed to steal. You guys are seeing where I'm going here with these Ten Commandments, right? But rather, we are laboring. We're working with our hands so that we are able to help each other. That's the idea. That's the Christian love that we have that God has given to us. We use our assets. We use our talents. We use our time to help each other. If we're not doing these things, we end up grieving the Holy Spirit because verse 29 says this. Let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth, but only such a word as is good for edification according to the need of the moment so that it will give grace to those who hear. You know, when, someone, like when Pastor Brad told me about this thing that happened last week, he 
he didn't come down with the iron fist. You know, he sent me a little text. He says, hey, um, I know what you wanted to say, but it didn't come out that way. So I went ahead and I looked at the, at the uh, video. And I thought, oh, man, what am I thinking, right? But the cool part is, is that I, I, I read the text and I went back to Brad and I says, you know what? You're right. You're right. But the point of it being is how he came, he didn't let no unwholesome word proceed from his mouth. And I was edified by that. You see how it works? Here's what he tells us too. We don't want to grieve the Holy Spirit in verse 31. He says, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you. That's a reaction right there. When we're doing all of those things, that's the reaction. Those are the deeds of the flesh. So we want to be practicing the fruit of the Spirit, right? Part of that is verse 32. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving each other, just as God in Christ also has forgiven you. Wow, what a blessing. You know, that we can go along in this life and know when we ask that God will forgive us. But I also want to try everything we can to get along with the people that we're around. So back to our text, if you would. Verse 2. I was mute and silent. I refrained even from good, and my sorrow, my pain grew worse. My heart was hot within me while I was musing. The fire burned, and I spoke with my tongue. You know, David goes back to this thing in verse 2 of being mute and silent, and we saw it in uh, chapter 38, verses 13 and 14. He says, but I, like a deaf man, do not hear. I am like a mute man who does not open his mouth. Yes, I am like a man who does not hear and in whose mouth are no arguments. So David is just kind of compounding on this idea of it's better sometimes just to keep quiet, even when there's possibly something good that you should say, as he is telling you right here, right? I was, I was mute and silent. I refrained even from good. But here's what ends up happening with David. His heart was hot within him. He couldn't handle it anymore. I mean, I got to get this thing out. So his enemies are there. So he has this idea, okay, am I going to go ahead and blurt out something stupid in front of my enemies and cause them to blaspheme God? Or am I going to go to God? Look at verse four, right? He says, Lord, make me to know my end. And what is the extent of my days? So he goes to God. He doesn't go to his enemy and starts ragging on his enemy about something. Turn to Psalm 38. Um, that 13 and 14. Did you guys actually look at that just now? I, I read it, but did you guys turn there at all? Okay, then go to Luke chapter 24. Luke chapter 24. And the verse that we're going to be looking at is verse 3. Luke chapter 24. You're going to see here the uh, Emmaus Road. And what ended up happening when Jesus came along, these two characters here that were on the Emmaus road. And I, I think it's interesting, some of the things, some of the, the, um, the fun that Jesus had with these two guys. Let me find this real quick. Amazing that I uh, lost my place there. <laughs> Happens. Okay, Road to Emmaus, chapter 24, verse 13. <clears throat> and behold, two of them were going that very day to a village named Emmaus, which was about seven miles from Jerusalem. And these guys are just talking with each other about the things that took place during that day. And so while they're talking and discussing, here comes Jesus, right? He approaches them. But here's something that's interesting to me. Verse 16, but their eyes were prevented from recognizing him. So Jesus says to them, what are these words that you're exchanging with one another as you are walking? And they stood still looking sad. One of them named Cleopas answered and said to him, are you the only one visiting Jerusalem and unaware of the things which have happened in here these days? And then here goes Jesus playing with them again. And he said to them, well, what things? And he said to them, the things about Jesus and Nazarene. I like this right here because these guys are starting to get an idea of what they saw Jesus do. They're getting this idea of here that Jesus came. And the problem is, if you look down 
in verse 21, he says, but we were hoping that it was he who was going to redeem Israel. Indeed, besides all this, is the third day since these things have happened. Then these two guys end up getting a little bit more excited in verse 23. I'm sorry, verse 22. But also some women among us amazed us when they were at the tomb early in the morning. I can see their exciting building up and did not find his body. They came saying that they had also seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just exactly as the woman also had said, but him they do not see. So Jesus comes back to them, O foolish men and slow of heart, to believe in all that the prophets have spoken. What Was it not necessary for the Christ to suffer these things and to enter into his glory? And so Rauda loved to bend here, or maybe you know, get a, a CD or a DVD of this uh, Bible study that Jesus is getting ready to give these guys, right? I would love to be able to hear what, what he was saying. Then beginning, verse 27, the beginning with Moses and with all the prophets, he explained to them the things concerning himself in the scriptures, and they approached the village where they were going. Could you imagine that Bible study that Jesus was given to them, the excitement that these guys were having? when, they, when they're, they're hearing all these things that were going on, beginning with Moses and the prophets and moving, and just these guys are just with Jesus, but yet they don't understand that they are with Jesus yet. But they urged Jesus, they said to him, stay with us for it is getting toward evening and the day is now nearly over. So he went and stay with them. But here's the cool part. When he had reclined at the table with them, he took the bread and blessed it and breaking it, he began giving it to them. Then their eyes were opened and they recognized him and he, and he vanishes. You know, thinking, Jesus, why did you leave? You're just telling us all this cool stuff. I don't know. I look at this thing and I see these guys that are getting this hands-on treatment by Jesus. And what kind of a relationship do these guys have, right? They were sad before. And then they're with Jesus and all of a sudden their countenance changes tremendously. And then Jesus just leaves. But we all know that he's not gone, right? We all know that he's alive. We all know that he's within us and that one day we will be with him forever. That's the neat part. But I want to keep moving down here. Their eyes were open. In verse 32, they said to one another, were not our hearts burning within us while he was speaking to us on the road, while he was explaining the scriptures to us? While he was explaining the scriptures to them, their hearts were burning. Just like we saw what was going on with David here. Their heart was burning. And then we, we go to um, Jeremiah chapter 20 and verse 9. Jeremiah chapter 20, verse 9. He says, but if I say I will not remember him or speak anymore in his name, then in my heart, it becomes like a burning fire shut up in my bones, and I am weary of holding it in, and I cannot endure it. How many of you guys are like that? I'm not looking for hands, but you just love talking about the Word of God. I mean, not using it to beat people up, but using it to encourage people, using it to get people like what James was talking about here. I see a smile on his face right now, you see, and that, that's neat. This is what the Word of God does to you. You know, it makes those changes in your life. It takes you from this moment of being down to now this moment of, wow, I was in the presence of God just by reading his word, right? What is, what is the uh, first John or uh, John chapter one? In the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. And so we have God with us in the word. I love that. Back to our text, please. You know, <clears throat> I, I think of John uh, chapter 25 and the idea there being that John says this, um, you know, if we were to write all of these things that happened with Jesus, he says that the world could not even contain the books that would be written. That's a lot of information. And we have, we have this right here. Just think about it. The world, this whole room filled but then you have to expand and continue to go all around the world. And yet John tells us that, that, that the world couldn't even contain. So what does that tell me when we're in eternity and we're in this Bible study with the Lord for eternity? There's a lot of information. 
we're going to be like, what? How did that? Oh, man, that is so cool. I'm looking forward to that, Dan. I hope you guys are on the same page with me. Moving on. Lord, verse 4, make me to know my end and what is the extent of my days. Let me know how transient I am. You know, I, I see this thing, how David is keeping silent in the first three verses, and now I see him making a transition here where now he is um, understanding where his life is and um, becoming discouraged now. Let me know what is the extent of my days. Let me know how transient I am. And not that he wanted to know how many days he had left on this earth. He was trying to get him to that point of a humility, a state of humility before the Lord so that the time that he has, that God has given to him, that he will honor God with that time. David wanted to honor God. Turn to Luke chapter 12. <clears throat> Luke chapter 12. And where we're going to be looking at is 16 and 19. Kind of contrasting here of how David was acting and how he wanted to know his days, contrasting to this guy, you've heard of him before, right? He was the rich man. The land of a rich man, verse 16, was very productive. And he began reasoning to himself saying, what shall I do since I have no place to store my crops? Man, I'm being blessed by God. He's doing all this stuff, but I have no place to put my crops. Ah, I got an idea. How about if I tear down my barns and I build larger ones? Yes. Yep, that's what I'll do. And that's where I'll store in all my grains and my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have many goods laid up for your many years to come. Make your ease, eat, drink, and be merry. So this guy, on contrast to what David was doing, this guy here, he basically did not have a heart for God. He had a heart for himself, right? He could have said, you know, I've got all these crops going. There's a lot of poor people around back then. They're even there. Jesus said, you will always have the poor with you, but you'll not always have me. And so when Jesus is telling us that, ideally, if we have extra, and, and like, we, like we read in Ephesians, let's, let's use it to share to help other people with it, right? But see, this guy didn't do that. Instead, what he ended up doing, keep yourself there. But God said to him, you fool, this very night your soul is required of you, and now who will own what you have prepared? Hmm. Go to, go to Ecclesiastes chapter 2. Ecclesiastes chapter 2. And we're going to look at verses 18 and 19. This is Solomon talking here. Verse 18, thus I hated all the fruit of my labor for which I had labored under the sun, for I must leave it to the man who will come after me. Verse 19, and who knows whether he will be a wise man or a fool, yet he will have control over all the fruit of my labor for which I have labored by acting wisely under the sun. This too is vanity. Wow, you're doing all this work. You're, you're, you're making your living. You're amassing all these riches for yourself. And ended up happening, this guy in Matthew, he ends up dying, right? His, his life was required of him that night. He wasn't rich towards God. He was rich towards himself. And, and Solomon has given us the idea here, all the stuff that you are getting, that you're amassing all these riches for, are you doing it for God or are you doing it for yourself? And of course, and he gives us this idea because what happens if you say, well, in my will, I'm going to go ahead and give it to such and such. And you think that guy's pretty squared away, and next thing you know, he, he's a fool. He gets the stuff that you've given to him, and he squanders it, all right? I, I'm not saying that that's wrong, but I'm, I'm, with, I'm with Solomon. I, I hope the stuff that I have, a wise person gets it, and they'll use it to further the kingdom of God. I don't want to give it to a fool, a guy who's going to squander it and waste it. Back to our text. Verse 5, behold, you have made my days as handbreadth, and my life is nothing in your sight. Handbreadth, right here. This is your life. Okay, this is it right here. Okay, I, I know I, I've heard some guys say that you see that tombstone, you got that date there, right? You guys have heard this. You have the date where you're born, the blank, that little square there, and then you have the date that you die. And that little square there was basically your life. What did you do with it? Your handbreadth. Right there, these four fingers. What are you doing with your life? Are you glorifying God with it? 
Are you serving the Lord? Do you understand how much Jesus did for us so that you will go and do the things that he asks you to do? He wants you to serve. He wants you to love. He wants you to care for the church. He wants you to care for the people outside of the church. We've been given the great commission to do. We should do it. Here's the remedy. Go to Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6, 25 to 34. You guys have heard this before, talking about the cure for anxiety. For this reason, I say to you, do not be worried about your life as to what you will eat or what you will drink, nor for your body as to what you will put on. First of all, he says, don't worry. I heard fear a lot tonight, okay? And and this is why it's, it's resonating with me. Don't worry. Worry is a killer. He gives us a couple things to look at. Number one, look at the birds of the air that they do not sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Isn't that awesome? They're not worried. All they do is what birds do, right? Fly around, get my food. Wait, wait, where's my barn at, Sparrow? He doesn't have a barn. The Bible tells us he doesn't have a barn. Yeah, he'll bring a little bit back to his nest, feed his chicks, whatever. But the idea being is that we should learn from that bird and not be so worried about the things that we don't have. Your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not worth much more than they? What's the answer to that? Were the birds created in God's image? No, we were. Okay, so that means to me that God loves me tremendously. God loves you tremendously. He created you in his own image. Verse 28 or 27, and who of you by being worried can add a single hour to his life? Can anybody? No. Can you take time away from your life? Yeah, by worry. You want to you take time from your life? Start worrying. You guys have probably heard that story about that guy that paid a guy to worry for him. Right? <laughs> no? <laughs> yeah, well, his friend says, well, how much is that going to cost you? About $10,000 a month. You can't pay that. You only get paid like $3,000. Well, that's his worry. Right? You see, so... Again, don't worry. God, God has it. God has it. By the way, that was free. I wasn't, gonna, I wasn't even in the notes. just came up. <laughs> Verse 28. And why are you worried about clothing? Observe how the lilies of the field grow. They do not toil, nor do they spin. Yet I say to you that not even Solomon is all his glory clothed himself like one of these. There's the lily just doing his thing right? Coming up, enjoying the sunshine, enjoying the rain, enjoying just being in the field. That's what that that lily's doing. And he compares them to Solomon, that Solomon couldn't even dress himself like that lily. God's a great creator. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which is alive today and tomorrow is thrown into the furnace, will that much more clothe you? You of little faith. And he tells us not to worry again, saying, what will we eat or what will we drink or what will we wear for clothing? He compares us to the Gentiles and if we're doing these kinds of things. For the Gentiles eagerly seek all these things. For your heavenly father thinks he knows what you need. No, he knows what you need. Even before we come to him in prayer, God knows what we need. Well, why should I pray? Well, he wants you to, right? I, if I want to have a relationship with my wife, I can't just say, hey, honey, I married her, and then just keep going on my way. She does her thing. How do I know what she wants? How do I know what she needs? I need to talk to her, right? It's for our benefit that we pray to the Lord. So let's take advantage of that. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Last week, we talked about this idea of early in the morning, getting up and worshiping God and getting in that fellowship with him. And part of that is right here, right? Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. So we end this little section right here, verse 34. So again, don't worry about tomorrow. Tomorrow will care for itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Am I saying don't plan for tomorrow? No, I'm not saying that. It's wise to plan, okay? It's wise to get your list and write all the things that you want to do in the day, but don't bum yourself out by saying, well, I didn't get this done, right? Just go ahead and, you know, you got another day. God will give you another day, hopefully. Let's go back to our text. 
my lifetime, verse 5, is nothing in your sight. Surely man at his best is a mere breath. Selah. Selah. Think about that. Wow. Lord, make me know my end. What is the extent of my days? Let me know how transient I am. Surely every man at his best is a mere breath. Verse 6. Surely every man walks about as a phantom or as an image or a shadow. Surely they make, nothing, make enough uproar for nothing. We talked about this. He, imagine, he amasses riches and not know who will gather them. We talked about that. Not amassing the riches because we don't know who's going to inherit those riches. And so for us... We should turn to verse 7 and do what David did. And now, O Lord, for what do I wait? My hope is in you. I look at this and I see how David constantly in the Psalms, and he's always going back. He's always going back to, and you, Lord, but you, Lord. I look to you, Lord. And that's what he's doing here again. And now, Lord, for what do I wait? My hope is in you. In verse 7 here, I want to go to Romans chapter 14. Romans chapter 14 and verses 7 and 8. This idea of how long are we living, I don't worry about that. People say, well, well, why do you go hike? Why do you try to stay in shape? Why do you eat right? Well, it's not so that I can have a long life. You guys know my wife. She's wired for sound, right? <laughs> I got to keep up with her. I have four grandchildren that are the same way. So not only that, but... I want to be able to play with them, right? We say, hey, great, Grandpa, you want? No, no, you guys go out and do your own thing. I'll sit over here and just kind of hang out. Trust me, there'll be that day where I won't be able to do that. So I'm taking advantage of it. That's what I'm, I'm trying to show you here is that we want to take advantage of the things that God has given to us right now. So let's look at verse 7 of chapter 14. For not one of us lives for himself and not one dies for himself. For if we live, we live for the Lord. If we die, we die for the Lord. Therefore, whether we live or die, we are the Lord's, right? So what are you living for? You're living for God, living for yourself, living what? I don't know. The Bible tells us right here, he says that we should live for the Lord because we are the Lord's. You've been saved. You've been redeemed. Jesus hung on that cross for you. And so by him doing that, let's live for him. What has Jesus done for us? No greater love than this, that one would give up his life for his friends. One would die for his friends is what Jesus did. So how do we move forward? You know, if you're stuck in this little thing here, um, well, we, we learn in the beginning here that we need to guard our ways, right? As we're waiting on the Lord, as our hope is in him, we look at uh, 1 Timothy chapter, or 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7, and we see one of the ways that we can move forward. You guys have seen this one before. But do we believe it? For God has not given us a spirit of timidity, but of power and love and discipline. He has not given us a spirit of timidity. Are you fearful? Why? God hasn't given that to you. Are you weak? Why? God hasn't given that to you. He's given you love and discipline, right? He's given those things to you. 1 John chapter 2, go to the right a little bit. 1 John chapter 2, verses 15 and 17. Part of the cure here, um, we're at enmity with God. You know, if you're in the world, you're at enmity with God. How do, we not, how do we not stay stagnant in the place that we are? Well, here we go. Verse 15 of 1 John chapter 2. Do not love the world, nor the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the boastful pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. The world is passing away and also its lust, but the one who does the will of God lives forever. I love that. We move, we move from hopelessness. When we're looking at Jesus as our Lord and Savior, we move from hopelessness to hope, right? We move from being paralyzed in the position that we're in from being that paralyzed position to be able to move to action, be able to do things. Why? 
because we understand how much Jesus loves us. We understand what he's done for us. Back to our text. Hmm. Boy, I just love this when, and when David gets back into this idea of being repentant and a broken heart. Verse 8 and 9. Deliver me from all my transgressions. Make me not the reproach of the foolish. Again, he says like he did in Psalm 38, I become mute. I do not open my mouth because it is you who have done it. So David, again, just like we saw in in verses 17 and 18 of chapter 38, he says, for I am ready to fall. David understood that his his, um, judgment was coming. His discipline was coming. And my sorrows continually before me, for I confess my iniquity. I'm full of anxiety. Uh, turn on over just a couple pages to uh, Psalm 51. Psalm 51. We see here that David in this position where he's, he's crying out to the Lord, and we're going to also see it further down in, in verse 12. But David is, is pleading with God, deliver me from all my transgressions. Make me not the reproach of the foolish. And in Psalm 51, if we look at verses 16 and 17, for you do not delight in sacrifice, otherwise I would give it. You are not pleased with burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are what? A broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart. Oh God, you will not despise. And so God loves it when, you know, we, we know that um, we've done something we shouldn't have. Or maybe sometimes when we haven't done anything and we're just doing our life, right? We talked about this last week a little bit. Always remain humble. God loves a humble heart. He, we just read it right here. A broken and contrite heart, oh God, you will not despise. It's always wise to come to God in that state of humility. Guys, we got calamity driving all around us, don't we, Right? We heard it tonight. There's a couple of different people out here. We heard it tonight. We see it on the news. It doesn't mean that the world's going crazy. It is going crazy, right? What it means is that God's still in control, right? God is still in control. The world is getting out of control, but God's got it right where he wants it to be, okay? So fear not. Don't worry. Don't let that anxiety overtake you. When we're in sin, And we realize that we need to repent. What does God's word tell us? You guys know this one, 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to forgive us from all unrighteousness. I like that word all. And then going back to 38, Psalm 38, 17 and 18, again, I will confess my sins before you, O Lord. So that's the idea that we want to have when we're talking. We go to Leviticus Leviticus 10, 3. This is a tough one here. Wow, I, I wouldn't want to be Aaron in this position. So Moses and Aaron were given these, all, these sacrifices. They were doing everything that God had told them to do in their sacrifices. And then chapter 10 rolls up. And <laughs> Nadab and Abihu decide that they want to go ahead and get their pans and they want to offer this strange fire to God. So last part of chapter 9, then Aaron lifted up in verse 22 his hands toward the people, then blessed them, and he stepped down after making the sin offering and the burnt offering and the peace offerings. Moses and Aaron went into the tent of meeting. When they came out and blessed the people, the glory of the Lord appeared to all the people. And then fire came out from before the Lord and consumed the burnt offering and the portions of fat on the altar. This is what I like. And when all the people saw it, they shouted and fell on their faces. They were glorifying God but not Nadab and Abihu. They decided they were going to go outside of God and what God wanted to do. And so they ended up getting their little saucers. They put their own fire into it. They put their own incense into it. And then they went ahead and offered it before the Lord. Well, what ends up happening is that that same fire came down out of heaven and consumed those two guys. Aaron's sons, priests, it consumed them. Because what does the word say? He says, and fire came out from the presence of the Lord and consumed them, and they died before the Lord. Verse 3, then Moses said to Aaron, it is what the Lord spoke, saying, listen up, church, by those who come near me, I will be treated as holy, and before all the people, I will be honored. 
Aaron didn't complain. He didn't scream and yell, God, why'd you kill my sons? Here's what he did. Therefore, Aaron kept silent. He understood that God is a sovereign God. Okay. And he understand this, he understood this too, that my sons were going against what God wanted them to do. I'm not saying that God's gonna do that to you, but I'm not gonna take the chance. I'm gonna, I'm gonna worship the Lord. I'm gonna try to do it the right way. Understand that God is a forgiving God. Back to our text. Verse nine says, I become mute. I do not open my mouth because it is you who have done it. And we, if we go back to Psalm 51, um, David talks about this. And, and the thing that we should probably get from this verse right here, when he says that I have become mute, I do not open my mouth because it is you who have done it. And we look at um, verse 15 of Psalm 51. It says, O Lord, open my lips that my mouth may declare your praise. What a good prayer that we should be praying. Oh Lord, you be the one that opens up my mouth so that I can declare your praises to the people. So Lord, that I hopefully can be an encouragement to them and let them see who you are and what you've done. Verse 10 in our text. Remove your plague from me because of the opposition of your hand. I am, I am perishing. Remove your stroke from me, Lord. You have done this to me. David knew that he was under this oppressive hand of God because David had done some things that he shouldn't have been doing. Verse 11, with reproofs, you chasten a man for iniquity. You consume as a moth what is precious to him. So we look at this idea of this moth. I want to read that again. You consume as a moth what is precious to him. Surely every man is a mere breath. Job 13, 28. Job 13, 28. In fact, I'm going to go to verse 27. It says, you put my feet in the stocks and watch all my paths. You set a limit for the soles of my feet. While I am decaying like a rotten thing, like a garment that is moth-eaten. The first thing that popped into my mind when I was reading that, decaying like a rotten thing, you know, you go on vacation, you thought you got everything out of the vegetable drawer. <laughs> Come back and there's your lab project, right? You open that thing, you walk in the house, you go, man, what does that smell? Well. It's kind of like this, you know. I am decaying like a rotten thing. I, I, back to David, what he's doing here. Like us, if we're not doing the things that God calls us to do, we're like this moth-eaten garment, right? And, 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 and what he's doing is he's, he's making it look like the thing that we're holding on to. What are we holding on to? That thing that you're placing before God. More closely, you're holding this thing, whatever it is. And if you're like, if you're God's child, God will come along and he will take that thing like a moth and he will devour it. He wants you. God wants you. He loves you. He doesn't want to see you stay in the state that you're in or me. He doesn't want to see me stay, stay in the state that I am. Go to Matthew chapter six. Matthew chapter six and the verses are 19 and 21. So here's what we should be doing, right? Jesus admonishes, admonishes us in this. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. Why? For where your treasure is, that's where your heart's going to be. You know, are, are you making your treasure, the treasure of your heart, God's heart, God's wishes, God's ways? Only you can answer that. I know for me, I answer the same thing. I got to go through the same thing you guys have to go through. Back to our text, verse 12. Hear my prayer, O Lord, and give ear to my cry. Do not be silent at my tears. David is, is um, pleading with the Lord. Hear my prayer, O Lord. Hear my cry. Give ear to it. Father God, I don't want you to be silent to this thing. I'm going through all of this 
this turmoil right now. I'm going through all of these things, Lord, that because of me, the things that I've done, but yet your hand is heavy upon me. Father, don't be silent. I want to hear from you. For I'm a stranger with you, a sojourner like all my fathers. When you look at that, that phrase right there, for I'm a stranger with you, notice something that he does not say, for I'm a stranger to you. He doesn't say that. They're in league together. God and David are in league together here. It's like us. Okay, Philippians chapter 3, verses 17 and 20. 17 to 20. Philippians chapter 3, verses 17 to 20. I see this example of here that uh, David has given to us. He's a stranger. He's a foreigner. He's an alien. And the idea that, that we're with God, verses 17, it says, Brethren, join in following my example and observe those who walk according to the pattern you have in us. Paul is challenging the Christians to watch how, walk, watch how he walks. What do you say? Imitate me as I imitate Christ. Verse 18, for many walk of whom I often told you and now tell you even weeping that they are enemies of the cross of Christ. You watch a person long enough and they're claiming to be a Christian and their fruit will come out. Okay, their fruit will come out. Be careful, but minister to them. You know, just because you see that fruit come out, just minister to them. Now you're ministering to them in a different way. Okay, but it doesn't mean that we just shun them off. We push them off to the side. We minister to them in a different way and allow the Holy Spirit to work on their hearts through us. That's our job. Verse 19, whose end is destruction, whose God is their appetite, and whose glory is in their shame, who set their minds on earthly things. We talked about that before. That guy that built the bigger barns. For, hey, our citizenship is in heaven, from which also we eagerly wait for a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Hopefully you guys are doing the same thing I'm doing. I'm waiting, I'm watching, but I'm getting busy, okay? I'm, I'm staying busy doing the things that God is having me to do. I don't want to be idle, you know? I don't want to be idle when Jesus comes back and he says, what are you doing? And I'm not trying to put a guilt trip on you. This is my own personal thing because I understand what Jesus did on the cross. I love that Jesus had that much love for us. And so my reason I, I serve is because of my love for Jesus. Why? Because he loved me first. You see, that's that reciprocal thing that just happens. The thing that I don't understand is someone who's a Christian that doesn't serve. In, in listen, in your gifting that God has given to you. Okay, whatever your gifting is, I don't know that, you know that. Get before the Lord, ask him, Lord, what is it that, that you want me to do for you? Trust me, God's got something. Okay, no, everybody, God will use. God will use you. Back to our text. Turn your gaze away from me that I may smile again. That's awesome. We see that David is asking God, he says, hey, God, turn your eyes of correction away from me. Take we saw here that he said, take your heavy hand away from me. Give here to my, my prayer, Lord. I want to hear from you. Let me smile again, Father, before I depart and am no more. Our last text we'll look at tonight is going to be Joshua chapter 23, verse 14. Joshua is before the children of Israel. He's before the elders. He's getting ready to give his farewell address. He's telling me all these things, reminding him of the things that God has done for Israel. And so in verse 14, he tells us, Now behold, today I am going the way of all the earth, and you know in all your hearts and in all your souls that not one word, church, listen to this, not one word of all the good words which the Lord your God spoke concerning you has failed. All have been fulfilled for you. Not one of them has failed. Every single prophecy has been fulfilled in that time. There are more prophecies that will be fulfilled. And someone's going to always say this. Well, maybe one won't. <laughs> well, I can guarantee you this, that God does not lie. And God being a God of love, those prophecies that haven't been fulfilled, 
they will be fulfilled. So we, we can bank on that. John 16, 33, you guys have, told, you guys have heard this. In, in this world, you will have tribulation, but be of good courage. I have overcome the world. And I would have to agree with David in Psalm 23, as we're looking at this thing, I, this idea of David departing and am no more, that, that he wants to be in that right relationship, that right fellowship with God. And David in Psalm 23, 6, what does he say? And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. That should be our goal. That's our blessed hope, Jesus Christ the righteous, right? Being able to be with him for eternity, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word, your word that is truth, your word that is right. I thank you for all these people in this room tonight, Lord, that have come out to hear your word. And as we've prayed together, Lord, we've come together. We've, as, as James, you could, you could hear his voice cracking for this guy that was just trying to follow you. And then, Lord, he, he got caught up in the sin. I ask, Lord, that you would give us people in our lives that would hold us accountable. And, Lord, that we would hear the voice of the Holy Spirit convicting us before we, cut, we fall into that sin. I pray, Lord, for this church body. I thank you, Lord, for them. I thank you, Lord, that this is a loving church. Continue to grow us, Lord, closer to you. So when that pastor comes, Lord, he'll look at this church and he'll go, my job's going to be easy. So Lord, knit us together in your love. And we thank you for your words that are truth in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, we'll see you guys next week. Um, I think John is teaching next week. So have a good week, guys. Go out and be blessed and bless somebody.